We're going to have some fun today. Can you tell? I'm not really a doctor, but for all those people who are watching on YouTube right now on the televisions, I'm playing one on TV. There's a theme of the heart this morning. And so we're going to take this sermon that Peter is preaching right after Pentecost. And it talks about what it does to people's hearts, what their response was. And so today we want to try to help you get in touch with the state of your heart, but not just your, your physical heart, your eternal heart. As we, we listen to this sermon from Peter today, there's going to be a response. And either it's going to be, yeah, that's, that's in the Bible, that's interesting. Or maybe like the people who heard it that first day, you are really going to be pierced to your heart. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to try to get to the heart of the matter by taking a look at this great sermon that Peter preached. Now, I talked last week about where they are, that the uh, disciples and, and the folks had been gathered on the day of Pentecost, and all the noise came out from the inside of this house, and the crowd was around it. But there was a transition at some point, because now Peter is speaking to a crowd of thousands of people. The Bible doesn't tell us how many, but we get an idea for the number at the end of the passage we're going to look at today. And so where they're actually all gathered is a part of it still exists today. It's called the southern steps, probably, of the temple. That's more than likely where they were. It would have been about two blocks from where they were gathered on Pentecost. And, and a lot of the people would have already been there because it was surrounding the, the temple complex. And so uh, the, the Kidron Valley is just below. We're going to show you a couple of pictures here to get you a visual of what it actually looks like today, I think. Yep. So... That's looking all the way up from the street, and so where the, the trees are and kind of the edge of the building, that's actually the temple steps. That's the southern steps. There was two gates back in Jesus' day on either side of it, but right now what we've got is this section in the middle that you actually get to, to sit outside of the temple, which is where if you weren't Jewish or if you were a woman, that's as far as you got to go. But now we get to be there, and there's two of the folks that were with us last year, uh, Stephanie and Randy. That's actually the steps. And so the one that Randy's sitting on, that's part of the new part of the complex to the temple. But the ones on the right that look a lot older, those are original. And so if you're actually there today, you can sit or stand on the steps that Jesus actually would have walked up with his family and where more than likely Peter preached this great sermon to, and so uh, to the people. So what he's talking about is the coming of the Messiah. And he had talked about Jesus and he, and he had made this statement that you are the ones who killed him. You had him crucified. He had people's attention at that point. Everybody was listening. Some of them, as often happens when you preach a message that people don't like to hear, some of them no doubt were getting angry. But there was a lot of them that stuck around and heard them all the way to the end. And so, again, he recites Old Testament. He said, for David says, this is verse 25 in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. For David says concerning him, him being Jesus, the coming Messiah in David's day, they didn't know his name. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwelled in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he says, brothers, I may say to you my confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried 
and his tomb is with us to this day. He uses these great words of David as a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And then he steps and he says, here's the deal. David was the great king. He's the one we look back to. We all want him to come back again. But I can tell you something. David died and he's still buried. David is still in his grave. Now, this would be a powerful thing because as they would be looking out from the temple steps, out towards the valley, the Kidron Valley and, and away into the distance, it would have been the old city of David right below them. When he's using David as an example here, it is a very well-placed example. But the message that he's giving still holds true for today because here's the deal. There have been some incredible religious leaders in the history of the world. There have been some people that folks today still follow. Uh, there was actually who, someone who was Buddha. There was someone named Gandhi. Great religious leaders had a wonderful message about how to treat people well and to live together and to, to live as a person of peace and kindness. Great messages. The thing is, they died and they're still buried. And we've got people today who think they're really all that in a bag of chips, religious leaders, but they're going to die and they're going to stay buried until Jesus comes again. And then it matters not how popular they were on earth, but who they believed in and where they put their faith and hope and trust. And this message that Peter is saying is that David died and he's going to stay dead. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus was killed, he was buried. He rose again, and then he was ascended to heaven, and your witnesses to all of that. And, and what Peter is saying is that Jesus invites you to spend eternity with him. Don't follow someone who's going to die and stay dead. Follow the one who died and was raised to the grave and lives to this day. Verse 30, but therefore a prophet, and not knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is going to be the Messiah, Messiah, is going to be in the line of King David. And the New Testament lineage shows us that. See, this Old Testament prophecy that says that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of King David. And when God makes a promise, God keeps his promises, every single one of them. That's why it's so important that, that if you're going to grab on to something, if you're going to hold on to it, there's a lot of religions in the world. And, and folks today say, ah, oh, this one or that one, I love what they say. I love how it makes me feel. But how long is it going to last? And what Peter is saying is that God made a promise to David and he kept it. Because Jesus was the promised Messiah. And everything that David prophesied about him came to pass. He goes on and he says, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. What happens when someone dies and they're buried? Well, we begin to decay. We begin to decompose. And David said, I'm looking forward into the future as a, as a prophetic word saying, the Holy One is going to die, but he's not going to go and stay in the place of the dead. But in fact, he's going to be raised up. So in verse 32... Peter says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that were all witnesses. Say there was 5,000 people, 10,000 people that were gathered listening to this message. What Peter said is every single one of us, every one of us is here, was in Jerusalem, and even if it was just over the course of the last two months, you know who this Jesus was. If you didn't see him or talk to him, you heard about him. You know someone else who did. This Jesus was known by everybody. He gathers everyone together and he says, we're all witnesses. This Jesus that God raised up. Interesting because Peter actually says that to mean three different things. 
Jesus was raised up on the cross that they put him on where he was crucified and died. Jesus was raised up by God out of the tomb to new life. And Jesus was raised up to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father on the day of ascension. And Peter's saying, you were witnesses to all of that. So when he talks about Jesus being raised up, it means three different things. They knew Jesus. Now they're hearing from Peter. The question is, do they believe? And so we have to ask ourselves, you know Jesus. You're in church. You know who he is. The Bible talks about him from the, New Test- or the Old Testament through to the New Testament. But do you know him personally? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Or are you still holding on to and protecting your heart for yourself as though somehow you can protect it more than he can? As though your plan for your life is a better plan than what God has for your life? Those people knew who Jesus was, but that didn't mean they all believed. Years ago, I was uh, praying one Sunday before, before a message, and I just we, we were kind of in an interesting spot as a young church. And I said, God, why, why, why do you want me to preach? I'm not comfortable doing it. I don't feel like I'm good at it. What is the point? And God pressed on me so clearly, the point isn't because you're good at it. The point is because it's for salvation. We preach for salvation. We preach the good news of Jesus, that people might believe, repent, believe, and be baptized. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. This crowd of people that had just called all of his friends early morning drunkards, he is, pre- he is preaching so that they might be saved. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He is making a huge statement. This is the same statement that got Jesus put on the cross. The thing that made the the Jewish leaders so upset was that Jesus claimed to be God. And what Peter is saying is the Father has promised the Holy Spirit and Jesus has poured him out so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is the day of Pentecost that they, they, that they all had just experienced that caused this sermon in the first place. And what Peter is saying is that this Jesus is the one who gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, in the religion that they were living in as the Jewish people, God would give his Spirit only to certain people at certain times for a moment. And then he would withdraw his spirit. The spirit was present, but it wasn't there for everyone. And only God could do that. And now what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the one responsible for delivering the promise of the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying Jesus is divine, and this is proof of Jesus' divinity. And he says, what's the proof? You saw and you heard for yourselves. The reason that they're all gathering is because Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is the one who delivered the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, is your Savior. That's what Peter is telling them. He says, For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord uh, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. What he's telling them is Jesus is greater than King David. He says, until I make your enemies your footstool, then let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He comes back yet again and he said, Jesus is Lord and Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the Savior. And oh, by the way, you're the ones responsible for crucifying him. 
Jesus is God. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Savior. They crucify God himself. And these people are finally having to hear this in a way. They, they don't have to go inside the temple to hear anything. They don't have to listen to the disciples preach on the street corner. They've all gathered and are sitting listening to Peter. And he's making it very clear, brutally clear. You want evidence? There's your evidence. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, because Peter, I, I would love to have heard his voice. I would love to hear his passion. When he preached this sermon. Because the next verse says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? This isn't the first time in history something like this has happened. In fact, it's not the first time in this very place. You go back to the Old Testament, there was a man named Nehemiah. And he was cupbearer to the king. And what that meant was his job was to die so the king didn't have to. And Nehemiah went to the king and he said, my heart breaks for my city, the city of Israel. The walls have fallen down and there's nothing to protect it. And so he and the king have this conversation. And Nehemiah, who was just a cupbearer, he was a guy who was singled out to die, says, can I go and can I, can I rebuild the walls of the city? And the king blesses him and gives him everything he needs. And, and Nehemiah takes the folks to Jerusalem and he gathers them up and they start building the walls and fortifying the city and a man named Ezra who is a priest stands in one of the towers in the middle of the city and he opens a scroll and he begins to read and all that he does is talk about who God is and what God has done among them and it says the people were cut to the heart and just like this group went and talked to the disciples back then the priests surrounded the people and they gave explanation to what Ezra had just said because even their old Testament, which we understand as the Old Testament, their scrolls, they didn't know. They had walked away from them. They didn't know what they even said. These folks are hearing this from Peter for the first time, and they don't know what it means. And so the disciples are explaining the truth of God. He's not doing anything fancy. He's just telling them the truth. That's why we keep it as simple as we can here every Sunday morning. We say there's three things that we're going to focus on. The truth of God's Word. You hear me say that every week. Prayer. Because when we're cut to the heart, we've only got one that we can go to, and that's to God. And the third thing is worship. Because when we finally recognize and believe in who Jesus is, we realize that God is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. And that everything we have in life is worth nothing compared to Him. So they understood what, what God's Word meant to them. They finally understood who Jesus was and how holy God was. And the only response was that they were cut to the heart. And they say, what do we do now? Peter, we believe you. Now what do we do? There's this moment, I have to imagine, of recognition, of regret, and then of desperation. What do we do? So let's get back to the heart check for a moment then. Peter's words to them are very simple about who Jesus is and what their part in his death was. So what do we do? Let's do a faith checkup on your heart. Where are you at? Do you doubt who the Bible says Jesus is? Or do you believe who the Bible says Jesus is? Because Peter preached this message and people were cut to the heart. 
So what do we do? And, and so maybe the one thing that you need to do is the one thing you refuse to do, and that's to allow a change to happen in your heart. God, I'm ready. I can't keep doing it my way. I don't know that I understand everything that you're going to ask from me, but I know I need to make a change. We are so not good at that. I read a study years ago, and, and they went to, looked at men who went to the heart doctor with heart problems. And they looked at guys specifically who the doctor said, if you don't change your diet and your eating and your habits and quit smoking and whatever else, you're going to die within the next year. That's how bad your heart is. You've got one year. If you keep going the way you go, you've got one year before you die. The thing that amazed me wasn't the diagnosis. The thing that amazed me was the response. 60% of men chose to do absolutely nothing different. 60% of men chose to move forward doing just what they were doing, even though the doctor told them, in a year, you're going to die. The idea of having to respond and change was too much for them to do. So what about when you're confronted with the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are, and God's love for us? Is that enough to cut you to your heart and to get you to think about changing? It's amazing, 60% of the men denied the truth that the doctor spoke rather than to accept the truth, to believe that he's telling them the truth, and to make appropriate changes. Peter is saying words to these people that are eternal truth. And some of them believe and some of them continue to reject it, but what about you? Do you let God's word cut you to your heart? And then do you do something about it? Or do you hear it and get moved and then move on? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. They say, what do we do? Peter's response is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This very thing that they had just been mocking and making fun of. Peter says, you too can experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you need to do? Repent and be baptized. Turn from your sin. Be obedient and then step forward in baptism. And when we respond in belief and when we respond in humble obedience, we receive the gift of the blessing that God promises us, and that's the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of a personal relationship with Jesus. See, we're blessed with a personal relationship with God himself, the one who created us. And that's the ultimate blessing. And unfortunately, the church of today has made a mess of the word blessing. Jesus told the disciples, remain in Jerusalem and you will receive the gift that is awaiting you, the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? They, they didn't understand what was going to happen, but he says, just be obedient and wait in Jerusalem and you will receive. So they waited in Jerusalem and they received. And what was it? The blessing of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had commanded and they were obedient, they were blessed. And so we got to take a look at what blessing is. And blessing in the Bible is very different than what blessing is in America. Most Americans, including an awful lot of American Christians, don't like the biblical understanding of blessing. Why? Because in America, we think people are blessed if they have money. And so what's happened is America has created, created an entire theology called prosperity theology. And what it says is, if you're rich, it's because you're faithful. 
And if you've got enough faith, God's going to give you more money. As though we want money more than relationship with God. And it's the church. It's, it's pastors. It's other Christians who create this completely false gospel. As though money is the goal rather than relationship with Jesus. Blessing is relationship. In the Old Testament, it was always relationship. It was always about people. Money isn't blessing in the Bible. A relationship with God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's blessing. The idea of money as a blessing is a non-biblical, completely ungodly understanding of blessing. We want to think that if we're good people and good Christians, God is going to bless us with money. The Bible makes it clear that, clear that blessing is his presence with us. God blesses us with his presence in our lives, with the peace that passes all understanding, even though circumstances might be falling apart around you. There's a calm, there's a peace that you have. With salvation in Jesus and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that blessing is biblical. And God promises it's beyond our wildest imaginations. And yet so many people keep thinking money is the goal. Money isn't the sign of blessing. A relationship with Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is blessing. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Peter is speaking to Jews and Gentiles and everybody, and he's saying this, this Bible, the, the Old Testament that they've been living in, the promise of the Messiah, it isn't just for us. It's for everybody. God created and loves everyone. This gift, this promise, this blessing is for everyone who responds in faith and that God calls to himself. That includes you and I also. That includes us if we will repent and believe and be baptized, Peter says. It's as simple as that. It isn't complicated. It isn't difficult. And we do that out of Jesus' command for us to be obedient. It says in verse 40, and he's beginning to wrap it up now, and he's going to get soft on them. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter was a fireball. He's saying that, that when you don't believe, when you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to get led down the wrong road, and it's a crooked road that's going to take you away. Luke doesn't record the whole sermon, but I would love to have heard it. I wish I knew what else he said, but that, that last statement, save yourself from this crooked generation, right? Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We can't save ourselves from eternity. But we can remove ourselves from the presence of people who take us away from the presence of God. And it gets back to that heart checkup. Are you willing to change and do the things that you know are taking you away from God's blessing for you, that are taking you away from a relationship with Him? When it says save yourselves from this current generation, it means we have a responsibility to step away from the lies and the deception and the division of the crookedness of the people and the institutions around us. But that requires a change. It means we can't keep doing what we've been doing. Maybe we can't be friends with the people as closely as we've been friends with. Maybe we've got to spend our time doing different things and making different choices. 
It's true of them to us in this day, and it's true of us today. And so if you're going to choose a church, if this isn't your church, if you're watching online from somewhere else, choose a church that teaches what God's Word actually says, not what we like to hear. Because it's so easy to convolute and to pervert what God's Word says and make it sound believable. Those who preach prosperity theology have some of the largest followings in our country right now, but prosperity theology is a false gospel. There's truth that they might preach, but the base premise is completely wrong. We, you don't want to go to a church that makes you feel good about your sin. You want to go to a church that's honest about your sin and your need for forgiveness. When we choose where we're going to go, we've got to be awfully careful because there's a, a lot of not God-honoring junk that is being passed around in Christian churches today. And it's all part of that Christian uh, crooked generation that Peter is talking about. And the thing is, if it's what we want to hear, we just tell ourselves, well, those other guys, they're pretty radical. They're pretty strict. I, that's, that's not what I really want to believe. If it isn't in God's Word, if it isn't in God's Word, be really careful about believing it. Because what we want is to be obedient to Jesus and be in a relationship with Him. So what happened? This part of the message is over. What was the response? What was the result with the people that day? Verse 41, So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They believed Peter's words. They accepted Jesus. They received salvation, and they were baptized. They're in the middle of the desert. How in the world do you get baptized? Remember I said Luke answers questions that we don't know to ask? This is one of them. That's why we got the question mark still up here. Luke answers a question that we don't think to ask. 3,000 people, 3,000 souls were added to the number of the Christian church that one day before had been about 120. 3,000 people were added. How in the world, in the middle of the desert, on the top of the highest hill around, did they baptize 3,000 people? See, that's the thing, that we're, we're obedient. God prepares a way for us that we don't even know to pray for. That's exactly what God had did because... The interesting thing is on the south steps of the temple, which is exactly where Peter was preaching, there's something else. So there it is looking up from just about the place I'm going to show you next. So I'm actually the green jacket. I'm sitting on the old steps. That's where the crowd would have been all around behind there. And if you show the next slide, you turn around and you look at this. You know what those are? They're called mikvah. They're ritual cleansing pools. It's the only place in the city of Jerusalem where there would have been water on hand and ready for 3,000 people to be baptized because the mikvah goes all the way off the screen to the left and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them. When people said, I want to be baptized, they didn't say, well, you've got to wait. When people said, okay, I believe, I repent, I want to be baptized, God made it possible that they were already in the place that they needed to be in order for those baptisms to happen. There's no way that Peter could have planned that. But what we see over and over and over in Scripture is when we make ourselves available to God, man, God shows up and makes himself available to us. So on June 27th, guess what? We're going to invite you to be baptized. They didn't have to wait. You're going to have to. It's cold out there. On June 27th, we're going to invite you to be baptized. And here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to not let this moment pass. I want you to not be one of those 60% of the men that goes to heart doctor and knows what you have to do and walks out of the office and say, well, he's not going to keep track to me, so I'm going to just, 
I'm going to just try my odds and see how it goes. If you are being stirred right now, if the Holy Spirit is in you, if, if God is moving saying it's time that you got baptized, maybe you were baptized as a kid, and that's wonderful that your parents loved and cared for you and loved Jesus so much they brought you there. The Bible says believe and be baptized. So God didn't do anything wrong when you were baptized as a baby. It's just that you didn't get to do the part that Jesus calls us to do, and that's to be obedient ourselves. If you are sitting there today, if you're watching online right now, if God is stirring in you and you say, you know what, it's time. It's time that I did that. I feel a little awkward, but I know it's the right thing. Make yourself and make God a promise to show up here on June 27th and be baptized. You will begin to understand blessing the way that the Bible actually talks about it. When you step out in obedience and say that I believe and you announce it to a crowd of people and you say, now I want to be baptized. See, there's nothing special about Peter's message. It's really pretty simple. I have to imagine he preached it in a passionate way. But he simply tells the truth of God's work on our behalf in Jesus. And that's all that we try to do around here. Now, if God decides that one day 3,000 people are added to his number through this place, that's awesome. But you know, that number doesn't worry me. You know the number that worries me is one. The number one. And if you are that one, that's the one I pray about. 3,000 would be, wow, wouldn't that be cool? Think of the things that we could do. But you know what? Think of the difference that eternity will be for you if you decide to believe and be baptized right here, right now, today. The 3,000 number is awesome, but that doesn't concern me. The number one, that concerns me. That's why we do ministry here. That's why we are who we are. So that when we've got an opportunity to have a heart check, And the Holy Spirit begins to move in us. Maybe you'll be the one that God adds to our number today. Let's pray. God, thank you for Peter for this incredible message. Thank you for the people that gathered. God, we just pray that uh, as, as Peter preached a message that certainly did a heart check. And people were moved. They were cut to the heart and they believed. 3,000 of them believed and were baptized. God, maybe there's one person here today, maybe there's 75, who are saying, I believe. I'm, 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 I'm done running away. I'm done building walls. I'm done keeping my distance. God, I'm ready. I believe. Believe in my sin. I believe in my need for a Savior, that Jesus is the one you sent. He died for my sins and you raised him from the grave that my sins could be forgiven and we could have a new life. God, anyone who is here praying that prayer right now, God, I just pray that you, you fill them with an understanding and a knowledge in the presence of your Holy Spirit that they would understand what true blessing is. That it's a relationship with you. God, it's, it's up to you to decide what happens with the numbers around here. You're, you're the one that that provides the increase. We're not concerned about that. What we're concerned about is making sure that we're faithful to you and that number one. Because you save us one at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about how much of your heart you're willing to give to Jesus. Because in America, we've been kind of taught this gospel that says, as long as we acknowledge him, that's pretty good. But really what Jesus wants is just all of our hearts. 
And the way that we hold on to that is that we hold on to addictions and we hold on to habits and we hold on to hobbies that aren't good for us, that take us away from Jesus. We hold on to our money because we think he doesn't need that. We deserve that. And all of those represent our heart. And so what is it that maybe you need to step away from so that you can fully step in to what it is that God has waiting for you? 